Chapter 34 Joanna heard a gas clock toot half-past midnight as she and her little band of rebels hurried past the ruins of the old fountain of the apothecary garden, through the ancient beds of plants and shrubs, and down the slope to the river. She spotted a man's figure at the edge of the Thames. Even in the misty darkness, she knew the man was Gabriel. Odd how she so easily recognized the cut of his shoulders and shape of his legs after having known him for a mere handful of days. Odder still, the immense relief she felt sweep through her at the sight of him. A vampire. The moment he saw her leading the clutch of vampires through the garden, he trotted up the hill to meet her. Joanna, thank God, I was just about to leave. His questioning glance swept across her face and then darted over her companions. She could see he wanted to gather her into his arms, but resisted because of the strangers she had brought with her. I never would have got her in time, but I had some unexpected help. The woman in velvet stepped around Aidan's body. Citizen Stone, she purred, her voice chilled and her gaze hard. Citizen Valentine, Gabriel replied with a stiff nod. My boys. Citizen Valentine swept the air behind her, where the two male vampires carried Aidan's heavy body between them. Gabriel gestured for the two young men to follow him. This way. There's a boat waiting. After hoisting Aidan's limp bulk into the boat, the young vampires kissed their mentor on the cheeks and disappeared into the shadows. Joanna reached for a support line to step into the boat. Wait, Gabriel said. What are you doing? Going with him? Why? He may need medical care. I can't leave him yet. But Joanna... Gabriel grabbed her hand. You cannot. It's too dangerous out there. I'll come back. Once I know Aiden is all right. Joanna. Gabriel's grip tightened. His hand felt warm, but she didn't have time to think about the change in temperature. Joanna, they're taking roll tomorrow. You cannot miss it. Surely they won't have a hanging if Aiden is gone. They are using a substitute. Those slimy bastards. Citizen Valentine said. Joanna stared at Gabriel. He stared back at her, his eyes dark with worry. At that moment, she felt as if she and Gabriel were fashioned of one piece, that the same heart and mind were connected through their hands. Joanna had never experienced a bond so deep and sure. She blinked at the force of it, and saw a shadow flit through Gabriel's eyes. She was certain he felt the same thing. It was as if a great heat had come over them and forged their spirits into a single molten purpose. Joanna, I cannot go with you. There is only so much I can do here. I have to tend to my brother. He is not doing well. Don't worry, Gabriel. I'll be back as soon as I can. She longed to kiss him. She longed to be enfolded in his strong embrace and hug him tightly, to drink in his strength and his heart. One embrace would sustain her through the trouble to come. But this was no time or place for intimate gestures. They could not display their feelings for each other in the presence of others, especially other vampires. It was far 
too dangerous. Instead, she pulled out of his grasp and scrambled into the boat. Gabriel reached down and pressed paper credits into her hands to fund Aiden's escape. He told the boatman to be extra careful and tossed in the line. Then he knelt and gave the boat a hard shove to push it into the current. Joanna looked back to see the woman in velvet cross her arms and say something to Gabriel that made him scowl. Joanna waved and then clutched her cloak around her. The air above the Thames was dank and cold and already seeping into her bones. The oars rattled in the locks as the boatman rowed out to the main current. Joanna watched Gabriel's figure grow smaller and smaller as her heart grew heavier and heavier. She wondered if she would ever see him again. Severing the connection she had just experienced with him had left her feeling hollow, wooden, just going through the motions. She took a deep breath and turned to face the river. An hour passed as they sailed through the gloom. An occasional gaslight glowed upon the surface or illuminated the edge of a building or bridgework. But mostly, they traveled in complete darkness. But it wasn't complete darkness for Joanna. She could see the shapes of rooftops against the clouds and muted architectural details, all in grays and blacks. Joanna huddled in the boat, shivering, but fascinated by her vampire vision. Presently, the river widened and slowed. The boatman rode to the northern shore through a jungle of reeds and lily pads until they came upon a dock concealed in the vegetation. Here? Joanna asked. The boatman nodded and secured the craft to the dock. Some hands from a seagoing vessel will meet you here at dawn. You have credits? Yes. Don't let them see how much. They'll take whatever they can find. Good to know. The boatman helped her to lift Aiden onto the rickety dock. For the first time since his fateful dinner, Aiden moaned. Joanna took that as a good sign. Will you stay? Joanna asked, kneeling by Aiden and peering up the old boatman. Can't. Sorry. There's roll call tomorrow, you know. I know. If you're not back, citizen, that's the least of my worries. Joanna turned her attention to Aiden and touched his cheek. He was warmer now, at least. That meant his circulation had improved. Another good sign. The boatman cleared his throat and surveyed the marsh behind Joanna, obviously reluctant to leave her alone. Then he sighed. Well, keep your head low, citizen, and stay out of the marsh. There's all kinds of animals in there. Nasty animals. Just stay on the dock, whatever you do. Okay, thanks. The boatman slipped back into the darkness, leaving Joanna huddling next to Aiden with mist rolling over the planks and churning in the reeds. Not long afterward, Joanna was startled by the unmistakable sound of a horse snorting and the clink of a bridle. The pirates were to come by water, not land. Who approached? She fumbled with the credits Gabriel had given her and stuffed them under a coil of rotted rope. Then she jumped to her feet. Who goes there? The slow clump, clump of horse hooves was the only response. 
she peered in the direction of the sound, straining to make out shapes in the mist. Who goes there, I say? Federal Express? The words hung with amusement. The voice was male. Joanna had never heard of Federal Express, but she knew a taunt when she heard one. Her stomach nodded with fear, but she said nothing. No? How about Father Christmas, then? It's just about that time of year, isn't it? Show yourself, she demanded, craning her neck to see who approached so slowly. But then, you poor Londo folk don't have a clue about Father Christmas, do you? The more the man spoke, the more he seemed familiar, but she couldn't place his voice. She slid the knife from the belt of her dress and held it out, ready to defend herself. Ah, look, a brave Londo citizen, with a knife even. You just don't see that anymore. A man walked out of the mist, twirling a cane and grinning, and not in a happy way. It was Neil, Moray, the man she had seen in the prison and suspected of being a vampire. Her breath caught in her chest. This was not good. What are you doing here? She gripped the knife harder. I could ask the same of you. He tilted his head. You do get around, don't you? Then his gaze landed on Aiden, who lay on his back, his white face looking skyward. Train wreck, the prison, now this. Just coincidence. I think not. Maurice strolled closer and eased Aiden's head to one side with the tip of his cane. Ah, just the person I was looking for. You followed me. You bet I did. You've been up to some kind of mischief, haven't you? I'm beginning to think you're a meddler, and I don't like meddlers. Saving a life is not meddling. This man is my friend. Friend? <laughs> the vampire curled his lip. Apparently, he had as many friends as the woman in wine-colored velvet. Maybe being a vampire wasn't all that wonderful, and that's why they were so foul-tempered and sarcastic. Gabriel wasn't foul-tempered, but Joanna was beginning to suspect that Gabriel was not like the others, just as she was not like most of the citizens of Londo. What do you want with Aiden? He hasn't done anything to you. He's a meddler of the worst variety. He just wants a better life. Then I'll give him one. Moray set his cane aside, leaned over and took Aiden's head in his hands. Aiden's hair and ears poked between his fingers. Please, leave him alone. Why? I'm doing him a favor. Moray's expression darkened, and Joanna knew that he was about to kill Aiden with his bare hands. She lunged forward, flinging both arms around Moray's torso intent on ripping his grip from Aiden. The impact knocked Moray to one side. She screamed a battle cry and whipped up the knife to plunge it into his back. At the last second, he pivoted on one hand, and she struck him in the face instead. God damn it! He stood up, enraged. Blood poured from a sliced cheek. She thought she saw his lower teeth through the gash. The sight of the horrible wound made her 
gag. Vomit surged up her throat as she staggered backward. You bitch! The force of his words splattered blood over the front of her dress. She glanced down, horrified. Before Joanna could step out of range, he kicked her in the abdomen, knocking the wind out of her. Joanna fought for breath and balance, but she couldn't maintain her equilibrium. With a cry, she tumbled backward over the edge of the dock. She hit the water and went under into freezing blackness. She tried to stand, but the water was too deep. She panicked. She had never learned to swim, but her survival instincts kicked in. Perhaps the vampire side of her, inducing her to take a moment to think. She knew if she threshed to the surface, she could be tracked by the vampire on the dock. So, instead of struggling upward for air, she turned onto her belly and used her arms and legs to propel her underwater. Moray would have to hunt for her if he hoped to catch her. She prayed Moray would choose not to ruin his fine clothes by wading in after her. She headed for the reeds, each stroke propelling her through the water with a speed that matched her newfound running ability. In the safety of the cattails, she bobbed to the surface and took a breath at last. Bitch! Moray yelled. Come back here this instant! Joanna grabbed a snag of a tree that had fallen into the river long ago. She hung motionless, stifling her breathing. She knew Moray stood on the dock, scanning the bank for a sound or movement that would betray her location. Come out, you stupid cow! There are things that will eat you alive in there! She sank in the water until only her nose and eyes were visible. Bitch! Moray muttered again. He bent over Aiden, his back turned to her. He grunted, spit, and picked up his cane. Then he straightened and faced the water. I'll let the marsh take care of you, bitch. Joanna shivered in the water and ignored the things that kept touching her arms and legs until she heard Moray mount his horse and trot away. She waited even longer, expecting him to trick her by waiting just outside of earshot. When he was finally gone, and she could no longer feel her frozen limbs, she waded out of the swamp, through muck up to her shins. Shaking with cold, she fought her way through the tangle of cattails and lilies and stumbled up the bank. Then she hurried down the dock, trailing mud and weeds behind her. Aidan still lay on his back, looking up at the sky, but he was dead. Moray had snapped his neck. Shattered, Joanna dropped to her knees beside him. Oh, Aiden! Her teeth chattered so much she could barely talk. She brushed the hair from his cold forehead. I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. She stayed with him, not sure what to do. She didn't have the energy to take care of his body. The most she could do was cover him with the shroud. She pulled the coarse fabric over his body and swallowed back tears she needed to cry, both for herself and her sister. But she wouldn't allow herself to cry. Feeling sorry for herself would not be productive. She had more pressing things to think about. Joanna glanced down the wide river and considered her next step. Now was her chance to change her life. 
she could wait for the men from the seagoing vessel and buy passage for herself instead of Aden. She could go north and disappear, and get as far away from Neil Moray and Londo as humanly possible. She could have the new life she'd always wanted. She could strike out on her own with no one to worry about but herself. But was that what she really wanted? She had to decide before the men from the seagoing vessel arrived. The hours ahead were going to be insufferable, both emotionally and physically. She prayed she wouldn't freeze to death before dawn. Joanna pulled out her pocket watch to check the time. With shaking hands, she flipped open the cover. The watch face jiggled in her quaking fingers, but she could see that all the hands were stuck on three. It had been 3.15 in the morning when her watch stopped. The muddy water must have been too much for the delicate gears and flywheel. She slipped the watch into her vest and sat back on the dock. Only a few hours till dawn. She could make it, but she would need every resource at her command if she planned to forge a new life away from Londo. She reached for the credits she had stashed under the coil of rope, stuffed them in her corset, and then hugged her knees to her chest to retain what little body heat she had left. Only a few hours to go, and she could be a free woman. The next morning, Eva stood backstage in the marriage bower with two other women, waiting to hear her name announced. Chairs were provided for their comfort while they waited, but none of them dared to sit down and wrinkle their wedding gowns. They would never again wear as fine a dress as the ones they wore on their wedding day. For the sake of appearance on the most important day of their lives, they would remain standing for each lengthy ceremony. Eva glanced at the marriage machine, a juggernaut draped in purple velvet and gold fringe and decorated with two swans touching beaks and lots of gilded hearts and metal curlicues. No one knew how the marriage machine actually worked, but it was believed to be capable of awakening the reproductive systems of men and women. Females didn't have their monthly flows until they passed through the machine, and males supposedly became capable of fathering children after completing the ceremony inside the chamber. But what transpired during the ceremony, no one really knew, as married couples were commanded to keep the information to themselves. Revealing the secret of the marriage machine meant certain death. Eva wasn't afraid to step into the machine. What was there to fear? No one died as a result of the marriage ceremony. Still, she felt a flutter of nerves. The day had just begun, and she didn't know what to expect. Not of the marriage machine, or her new husband, when he discovered the burns on her arms. The other two women chattered and tittered behind their fans, their figures taut with excitement for the ceremony to come. Eva hung in the shadows, worried that the crooked hem she had stitched would be obvious when she walked into the lights on stage. She simply had to look her best. She might be marrying into a poverty-stricken family such as her own, or into a more affluent family with men who worked as administrators or commissioners. She wouldn't know her future social status until her groom's name was called. Regardless, she was determined to make a good impression. 
Whatever her marriage lot, poverty or affluence, she wanted to be perceived as the most beautiful bride with the most beautiful dress. So far, she knew she outshone the competition as long as no one looked closely at her sewing job or forearms. The gloves hid the major portion of her burns. But if a person got a good look at her, they would be able to see the red splotches near her elbows and the tired circles under her eyes. She hadn't slept last night, not with all the work left for her to do. So Eva remained in the shadows, hating every minute. She had always been the one to shine. She thrived on attention and admiration, and now here she was, skulking about, hoping no one would look at her. She blamed Joanna. If Joanna had been home last night, there would be no question as to who was the fairest in the bower. But Joanna had failed her. Her sister had shirked her familial duties and abandoned her on her one big day. She still couldn't fathom why Joanna would do something so hurtful. The other two brides had friends and family in attendance. The only person in the audience that Eva recognized was her friend from work, Mary Taylor. Pitiful. Eva fought back tears of outrage and frustration. How could Joanna have stood her up like this? It was the meanest thing her sister had ever done to her. But she blamed Aidan most of all. His rutting and rioting had ruined everything. In the early afternoon, Gabriel stood on the dais next to the gallows at Tyburn Cross while the bell of Pencris Tower tolled, calling the entire population of Londo to roll call. He refused to look at the gallows to his left, where an innocent citizen with a bag over his head would be dragged to the noose and hanged in place of Aidan Bannister. His stomach churned. All night, he had racked his brain for a way to appease his brother without killing an innocent human being. But he had come up with nothing. The last few days of turmoil, coupled with an appalling lack of sleep and worry about Joanna, had reduced him to a burned-out shell. Somehow, he had to stop the execution but he didn't know how he would achieve such a feat. The only thing he was sure about was the fact that he couldn't, and wouldn't, flip a lever and murder someone to show fealty to his brother. The one thing that might stay the execution was his brother's fragile health. In fact, last night, Gabriel had slipped a powerful sedative into Silas's usual glass of port, and had watched Silas drink it. If the drug was potent enough, Silas might not be able to rise from his bed and preside over the afternoon's festivities. But that was as far as Gabriel had got with any sort of plan. And now, Joanna was somewhere out there in the east of Londo, a place of swamps and swales and aggressive rodents that had mutated into dangerous giants. If she got past the rodents... She would have to bargain with North Sea thugs to take Aden westward or north to the outer islands, anywhere but Londo City. He admired her for the plan she had conceived and executed, and for her unwavering bravery. Would he be so brave when the time came? 
That was the question that made his stomach churn. Within 30 minutes, the square was bursting with citizens jostling for place in the same designated lines they formed at distribution. While the bell clanged, Gabriel surveyed the crowd, hoping to spot Joanna. But all he saw were shuffling citizens in drab clothes and scuffed work boots, arriving from jobs in the factories and fields, and none too happy to be denied their annual holiday. Gabriel sighed. He had tried to convince Silas to provide a drink or sweetmeat to each attendee at the gathering. Such a small gesture would have gone far to assuage the outrage of the citizenry. But his brother was bent on punishing everyone to teach them a lesson in obedience. There would be no refreshments, no chairs, and a good long sermon to burn their ears. They would think twice before rioting again. The bell tolled continuously, raising Gabriel's anxiety level with each clang. He wondered how the bell affected the condemned man who sat behind the gallows, locked in a wagon and surrounded by twelve armed guards. He prayed the dose of morphine he'd given the prisoner would be strong enough to make him incoherent until the very last moment, but still able to walk. Such pharmacy was an art. At a quarter to three, roll call began. Names beginning with A, the commissioner barked. Call out your full name and raise your hand. He poised a pencil above a clipboard, ready to mark attendance. Gabriel only half listened as people shouted out their full names, and the commissioner located them to ensure their identity. Thank goodness Joanna's last name was Wilder. She still might have time to make roll call. If not, she would lose her rations for months. He'd seen the state of Joanna's larder. She would not be able to survive more than a couple of months without food. And what of Eva? Gabriel scanned the crowd where he assumed the W's assembled. He focused on the smallest females of that group, but couldn't spot her. Els! By five minutes to three, roll call was halfway complete. Joanna was running out of time. Where was she? Gabriel glanced at all four avenues leading to the square. He saw nothing out of the ordinary. No woman running for her life. No carriage careening around the corner. And where was Eva? He studied the crowd again. There. Was that Eva in the hat and gloves and the type of ruffled black dress worn by wives of commissioners? He stared, straining to see the woman's features, which were partially hidden by the brim of her hat. If that was Eva, she no longer wore work clothes. She had soared up a couple of rungs in society, and that meant only one thing. She had gone through with her marriage. Eva had turned her back on Aiden. She had gone ahead and stepped into the marriage machine and into a life of deceit for everyone concerned, especially the child that grew inside her. Gabriel's heart sank for Joanna. All her work to save Aidan for her sister had been in vain. Joanna would be devastated. He scowled. This was not a good day. Worse 
It was going to be up to him to do something to stop the rest of the madness. Wilder! Eva! a voice called out. Gabriel located her raised hand. He'd been right about the woman in the black dress. Joanna was next. He searched for her face, but she wasn't standing near her sister. His heart skipped a beat. Before he could determine if Joanna was in the crowd, he heard a carriage rumble to a stop behind the dais. Gabriel turned and spotted the blonde hair and large shoulders of his brother as he was helped from the carriage. The sedative had not worked. Silas and the execution commissioners had arrived. Gabriel steeled himself for his personal trial by fire. He knew it was coming. There was no escape. He took a seat at the table on the dais and waited for the others. 